You may open your Bibles again today to Mark chapter 11. We're talking about the subject of faith, the day services. We call them faith clinic, faith seminar. We find out what makes our faith work, and if it doesn't, why it doesn't work. Now Jesus said, beginning to read with the 22nd verse, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. That's King James translation. The margin says, the Greek said, Have the faith of God. Or in other words, a God kind of faith. Then in the 23rd verse, he goes on to define or to describe the God kind of faith for us. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he'll have whatsoever he saith. So the God kind of faith is the kind of faith that you believe in your heart, you say with your mouth. That's the way you release it. You notice it said, right in the middle of that verse, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now what a lot of folks don't realize is that faith will work in your heart with doubt in your head. They go by their heads, you know, and said, well, I'm a doubt and I know I am. Well, no, faith's not of the head. Amen? Faith's of the heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. Then he went on to say in the 24th verse, Therefore I say unto you, What things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In the next verse, Jesus said, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now really to get the most out of what we would say today, you need to have heard what went before. You'll get something out of it, of course, but you'll get the most out of it by hearing what went before. Because this is just a sequel to what we're, we've been talking about. I want you to notice something. Actually, the most important things that you need to know about faith are found right here in this section of Scripture. And if you listen closely, you'll find the answer because the Word of God always has the answer. It may not be the answer you want, but it's God's answer. Amen? I said the Word of God always has the answer. It may not be the answer you want, but the Word of God always has the answer. I remember years ago, one time when the Lord Jesus appeared to me in a vision. Now from 1950 through 1959, the Lord appeared to me eight times. And three times out of the eight, he talked to me for an hour and a half. Well, in one of those visions that he appeared to me, he talked to me about my ministry. He talked to me about a couple of other things that I'd been praying about, brought me the answer and told me, what would happen, it happened just exactly like he said. And then he said, uh, be faithful, fulfill your ministry for the time short. Well, if it was short 30 years ago, it's just 30 years shorter now. Amen. Amen. You have to realize that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day with the Lord. And uh, then when he said to me, be faithful, fulfill your ministry for the time is short, he just turned away and, and, and started to walk away just like somebody holding a conversation with you and finish the conversation would walk off. And I said to him real quickly, Dear Lord Jesus, 
Before you go, may I ask you a question, please? Now, don't misunderstand me at all. After those kind of experiences, you know, your head takes over and you think of, a well, you say a thousand, that may be exaggeration, but you understand how I mean. You think of a thousand things, you know, that you'd like to ask him. But you see, it's not a mental experience, it's a spiritual experience. And whatever you have on your mind or whatever you think about, you, you don't think at that time because your mind is not active. It's your spirit. It's just whatever's on your heart. That's all you think of. And this was the only thing that was on my heart. I, I asked him, why did one of my relatives fail to receive healing? Did you ever want to ask him that? Or somebody maybe. This happened to be a relative. So I just asked him, why didn't so-and-so receive their healing? Here's the way he answered me. Didn't you ever read in my word where it said the secret thing belongeth unto the Lord? I said, yeah, that's Deuteronomy 29, 29. It reads the secret thing belongeth unto the Lord, but that which is revealed belongs to us and our children forever. I quoted it to him. See, he just quoted me half the verse. Didn't you ever, <laughs> didn't you ever read in my word where it said the secret thing belongeth unto the Lord? I said, yes, that's Deuteronomy 29, 29. I quoted the first half of the verse and then I went on and quoted the rest of it. But that which would be revealed belongs to us and our children forever. He said, if I had wanted you to know, I would have revealed it to you. Now that's plain enough, isn't it? And then he didn't, he proceeded not to tell me. <laughs> the, the, the secret thing belongs unto the Lord. He said, that's a secret between me and them why they didn't get healed. And uh, don't you even touch it in thought life. You go right on preaching faith and healing just like you are. And don't you even touch that in thought life. Now God see it my witness, I've never touched it in thought life again. Never even thought about it. Because really it didn't into my business. That which is revealed belongs to us. The secret thing belongs unto the Lord. If he had wanted to know us to know, he'd have told us. Amen. Well, now, that's not exactly the answer. The answer I want to know is why. He said, if I'd wanted you to know, I told you. Uh, but he answered my question and settled it with me, and I never even thought about it anymore from, for the last 30 years. Never even thought about it. I haven't even touched it in thought life. The Bible, really, God will take his word and answer anything for us if we'll listen to what his word says. Now, I, I remember in, uh, you know, this verse said now, these three verses, for instance. If you'll just go by what they say, you'll understand why some people receive healing and some folks don't. Amen. Now, I remember we went to a pastor church, my wife and I, in 1939. And we'd been pastor there for about uh, three months. And a lady of our congregation came to the parsonage one day and she talked about the weather and something else, and finally, you know, you could see she sort of tried to build up, you know, to get to a question. <laughs> finally, she said, Brother Hagin, I've got a question for you. And I said, fine. She said, now, you're a faith and healing preacher. See, I, was a, I wasn't a teacher then, I was a preacher. Now I'm both a preacher and a teacher. But uh, I said, I'll plead guilty. Yeah, I'm a faith and healing preacher. I was then, 1939, I still am now. 49 years later, 40, almost 50. Amen. She said, well, I've got a question for you. 
Well, you see the way she said it and the look on her face, I braced myself. I got ready for the $64 question. You see, that's 1939. There's a radio program called $64 question. Now it's a $64,000 question, you see. But I braced myself and got ready for it. And she said, now, uh, you know my mother. This lady is about 36 years old. Her mother was uh, 55. Yeah, I said, I do. She's a member here and, and, and her sister, some of the other kinfolks. Now she said, I'm not talking about me because I'm a new Christian. I've just been saved eight months. I got saved in your revival here eight months ago, so I'm just a baby Christian. But now you know that there's not a better Christian and more faithful in this church than mama and her sister and, and, and that part of the family. Well, I said, I have to admit that's true. I mean, what time I've been here. I've... Well, she said, you can just ask anybody. This church has been here for 23 years. And you can just ask anybody all this 23-year period. There's not a more faithful Christian. Her mother was very faithful, paid her time, supported the church, very, had spiritual gifts operating in it. In fact, in fact, I consider her mother more spiritual than the five other preachers I knew put together. She really knew God. She knew how to pray. She had gifts of the Spirit operating through her. Very spiritual woman. I said, well, uh, Madge, you haven't uh, asked me anything. You told me something. She said, well, now wait just a minute. Now, you didn't know my husband's family. Her, her family was the H family. But you didn't know my husband's family. Of course, you know him. He's the only one left here in, you know. But now, his mother was elderly, lived her life out, went home to be with the Lord. And after she passed away some of the rest of the family that was in the church moved away. Now she said, of course, I think, you know, my husband, the M family, I think I got the best one of the family. And I, of course, concurred with her. But she said, you didn't know the M family, but they were in this church just like my folks were over a 23-year period. See, that's a quarter of a century. And uh, they were, not, now I don't mean they were bad Christians, but they just weren't as faithful of Christians. They, they just weren't as, you know, as we would say. Well, I said, Madge, you still haven't asked me anything. You told me something. Well, she said, over this almost 25-year period, if a one of my husband's family ever failed to get healed, I don't know it. And if a one of our family ever got healed, I don't know it. We always wind up going to the hospital, being operated on, and dying. And two of them had died prematurely. The most faithful family in the church. Well, I said, you still haven't asked me anything. You've told me something. She said, here's my question. How come? <laughs> well, I don't know why one family always received healing over a quarter of a century. And, and the most faithful family in the church and a couple of them wound up dying prematurely. And another family, not near so faithful. And they always received healing. I said, I wouldn't know unless God gave me a revelation, you know, revealed to me why. But because I know the Bible, I know over the long haul. You know what I mean? Over a quarter of a century and a half a century, in this case a quarter of a century, if people got results, they're bound to come according to the word. So I said, without knowing, without knowing the M family, 
I would say that the M family had two outstanding characteristics. Now you write them down and don't forget them because it'll work for you just like it did them. Number one is twofold. Number one has part A and part B to it. Number one, they were quick, not slow. They were quick to repent and to forgive. And number two, they were quick to believe. Repent, forgive, believe. See, repentance and forgiveness goes together. That's the reason I said A, B. Amen? And so when I said that, this lady's eyes, you know, speaking figuratively, got as big as saucers. She said, well, Brother Hagin, you've hit the nail right on the head. No, I said, I'm not that smart. I didn't hit the nail on the head. God did. I, I said, you see, I have a book that has all the answers in it. It's called Holy Bible. That's where I got that. I got that from this section of scripture right here. Amen. She went on to say, this lady went on to say, I believe that my mother-in-law, who had now gone to be with the Lord, was the quickest person, and the whole family is that way. I believe they were the quickest people I've ever seen in my life to forgive you. I mean, she said, you know, here's that old proverbial mother-in-law problem. I, she said, of course, I wasn't a Christian, and, and, you know, and I got saved since she went to be with the Lord. Just eight months ago, I got saved. And so not being a Christian, she said, I was entirely to blame for a lot of things that happened. But my mother-in-law would always take all the blame on herself. She'd forgive you. I don't care what you did. She is, that whole family is that way. They're the quickest people. They wouldn't hold anything against you for, the, for, for a moment. Quickest people to forgive. Well, you know, that's what Jesus said. You go through the four Gospels and underline with a red pencil everything Jesus said on the subject of faith. And you'll find out this is the only hindrance you ever mention when you stand praying for guilt. Now, that doesn't mean there are not other hindrances. But what that does mean is that he warned us where the greatest danger was. Amen? He warned us where the greatest danger was. And when you stand praying, forgive. And when you stand praying, forgive. And so she said, this M family, my mother-in-law, and the whole family is the quickest people to forgive. And then said, I believe they were the, when they saw they were wrong, the quickest people to repent I've ever seen in my life. And the fastest people to believe God. In fact, she said some of them, they lived in the country and they, they just couldn't get into church always, but said, I believe they could stay out of church the longest and then get into church, get into the altar, repent the fastest, believe God the quickest and get blessed the most anybody ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, there's something about that God will just bless people that repent and forgive and believe. Amen? Amen. But now she said, you take uh, mama and us and our family now, we will forgive you eventually <laughs> because we know we have to. Bible said so. See, it's a difference forgiving from a slavish duty and then forgiving because the love of God constrains you. Amen? Amen? We will forgive you, all right, eventually because we know we have to, but we'll hold out as long as we dare. 
Well, if there's anything much wrong with you, you'll die while you're holding out. Because your faith won't work. Because we read yesterday where the scripture said that faith worketh by love, didn't we? Amen. And then she said, when it comes to believing God, we're the slowest people to believe you've ever seen in your life. I said, well, you've got your answer yourself. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I remember that same church. We went there to pastor. This was August when she was talking to me. We'd been there three months. But we went there in June of 1939. Now, I'd held a revival in that church. We called a church revival in January of, that, of 1939 for four full weeks. And as a result of the revival, the church membership tripled and the Sunday school doubled. And so about five months later in, in May, the pastor wrote me and said, Brother Hagin, I've accepted the pastor of another church and I'm leaving. And uh, the church board asked me to contact you to see if you'd be interested in pastoring this church. And I was, and I wound up their pastor. Well, I preached, see, we hadn't moved there yet. They had the election and they elected me pastor and I preached there on a Sunday. And then on a Monday, I went to a state convention that was gone all the week and then came back and preached the second Sunday and then we moved in and on this second week, well, we were straightening up, you know, uh, the parsonage, what meager belongings we've got. And uh, this is 1939, you see. And uh, so a lady, another lady there of the, of the church came to the parsonage and and she talked to us a little bit, and then she said, uh, you know, I just wanted to, uh, finally she got around what she came for. I, I know that sooner or later you're going to hear this, and, and I just wanted to come and tell you so you know get, you can get it right. You, you have to watch those folks that want to tell you, you know, their side of the story so you can get it right. Usually it's wrong. Somebody said there's three sides to every argument. Your side, the other fellow's side, and then the right side. And usually that's just about the truth. And so uh, she went on to tell me how, said, I just wanted to tell you how old sister so-and-so did me, treated me. Well, I recognized the name that she gave me as another, you know, I've just been there two weeks. Uh, really, uh, that week, I was gone the other week. But I recognized the woman's name as being a member there. And so she began to tell me what she did how she treated her and what she told on her and so on. And uh, just kept on, on, and on, and she's going, rehearsing it about the third time. You know how those folks are. Rehearsing it about the third time. So finally, I just stopped her, just said, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. Now, when did this happen? I thought last week while I was away attending the state convention that these two ladies had got into a fuss, you see, and in trouble with one another while I was gone. And so, when did this happen? And so she counted off on her fingers. She said, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I thought she was going to say eight days ago, which would have been the middle of last week when I was gone. She said, it'll be eight years ago next Tuesday. <laughs> and I guess that my mouth fell open, my eyes bugged out, you know, <laughs> in, in unbelief almost. And she said, oh, 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 now, 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 now don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. Said, I, I've forgiven her all right. But you know, she said, I never will forget how that old devil did me. <laughs> now, I'm telling Raymond, Stewart, don't pastor a church like I did. You're liable to get in trouble. Without thinking, I just put my finger out in the face and said, Sister, you're a liar. In fact, you, you have to be a Texan to understand this. this is a colloquial expression. 
I just put my finger out the face and said, you're a bald-faced liar. That's not a good way to start off with church members. You know, call them liars. But I did nonetheless. You're a bald-faced liar. And she looked at me and I said, if you had forgiven her, you'd have forgotten it. Or the devil might bring a picture of it to you once in a while. But you see, the word of God said, now turn again. We looked at it yesterday, but let's look at it again. Amen. Turn again to Ephesians 4.32. I like to put it this way. See, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, but the Holy Ghost said through the apostle Paul, but be ye kind, last verse of the fourth chapter of Ephesians, but be ye kind, tenderhearted, one toward another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as God, Forgiving one another, even as God. See, we can forgive just like God forgives. Now, why can we? Because the Bible said God is love. And the same Bible said the love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts, not in our heads, but in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Now, how does God forgive? God's word said, God said, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions and I will not remember thine iniquities. That's the way he forgives. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. And if you forgive and you're supposed to forgive, just like God forgives, then you do not remember iniquities. Now the devil may bring a picture of it to you, but when he does, you just smile and say, Mr. Devil, that doesn't exist. All you got's a photo. Amen. <laughs> and I'm not even going to look at it. Because I've forgiven them and I don't even remember that they did anything to me. If you're going to walk in health, you're going to have to walk in love. I said amen. amen. You might as well say amen too. It's so anyway. Now, you remember we looked also at Romans the 13th chapter and the 10th verse. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Well, love worketh no ill to anyone. You see, if that woman's walking in love, something happened eight years ago. Oh, I've forgiven her all right, but I never will forget how that old devil did me. She had any more forgiven her than anything in the world. Are you listening to me? Love, if she's going to walk in love, love works no ill. I said love works no ill. Amen? Amen? She wouldn't have been even over there talking about it. If she's walking in love, telling somebody, telling off on somebody. These are things that keeps people's faith from working. And their prayers from being answered. Keeps them from receiving healing. You could lay hands on some people till you wore every hair off the top of their head. And all they'd get out of it would be a bald head. See, some people have the erroneous idea that if you're a man of faith or a person of faith and if you've got enough faith and power of God that you can pray for me and get me healed whether I'm a living right or whether I'm not. Whether I believe or whether I don't. But if you could, you could beat what Jesus did. Then people ought to follow you instead of Jesus. And I'll prove that to you again with the scriptures. Look again to Mark 6, 5. Look again at Mark the 6th verse, chapter and the 5th verse. And he, Jesus could there in Nazareth do no mighty work. Didn't say he wouldn't, said he couldn't. Nazareth was his hometown. Save, we would say, however, he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. 
Jesus just managed in his hometown to get a few sick people healed. And the Greek says, W. E. Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament words points out that the Greek Testament said he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments. He just managed to get a few people healed and the few that he did get healed didn't have much wrong with them. Minor ailments. Now why? Isn't he the son of God? Isn't he a man of faith? Isn't he a man of power? Isn't he anointed by the Holy Ghost? The scripture actually said in John 3, 34, he had the spirit without measure. And yet he could there do no mighty work. Now why? Look at the sixth verse and it'll tell you. And he marveled because of their unbelief. See, their unbelief, though he's a man of faith, their unbelief nullified the effects of his faith. Though he's a man of power, their unbelief nullified the effects of his power. Can you see that? Amen. See, but so many people think that you can just override whether they're living right or not, whether they believe anything or whether they don't. No, you can't. I said, no, you can't. Because if you could, Jesus would have. He just went ahead and healed them there in Nazareth anyway. Amen. And when you stand praying, do what? Forgive if you have ought. Ought means anything at all, little, big, or middle-sized against anyone. I, I never would all these years allow the least bit of animosity, the least bit of ill feeling, wrong feeling, or ill will toward anyone for a moment, for one second. I won't let it touch me. I... I, I Flee from it like I would a rattlesnake. Why? Because I know what it'll do to you. And I've been sick. I was sick the first 17 years of my life. Never ran and played like other little children as a child. And was healed at approximately 17 years of age. And uh, have walked in the last 54 years now, in the 54th year, of divine health. Praise God. And I won't let those things touch me for a minute because I don't want to be sick. Amen. amen. I said amen. Amen. I remember one of our crusades there in Tulsa a number of years ago before we started Rainbow Bible Training Center. And then after this crusade, why, my wife and I were preaching to a full gospel businessman around a full gospel businessman's convention in New York City. And a lady said to us as we were visiting, shaking hands with folks, Brother Higgins, may I speak to you? And I said, yes. She said, uh, and she went on to tell me the story. She said, you know, a, a couple of years before, uh, I came down there to Tulsa to a crusade and uh, I came uh, from New York State especially to be healed. Now she had gotten into, she was a denominational Christian, but she'd gotten filled with the Spirit and gotten into the charismatic move, you see. And she said, I had a stomach problem, stomach trouble, and then a respiratory problem, breathing problem. I don't know whether it's asthma or what she didn't say, just a respiratory problem. And so she said, I came down. Now the crusade just ran from Sunday through Sunday, every night, and then Monday through Saturday where we had day services. And so said, I came to stay the whole week anyway, and we suggested, like we did here, that get in as many services as you can. Now, here's why we want folks to do that. Get into as many services as you can. Hear as much word as you can before hands are laid on you. Now, why? Well, number one, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We want to get faith into you. And then number two, by hearing the word taught, you understand sometimes then why your faith isn't working. So she said, I said to myself, well... I'm going to be here all the week anyway, so I'll just wait toward the end of the week and get probably Friday night. I'll get in the healing line. But she said, you began to teach and I've taught these same principles because they're so important. You never want to depart from them. Amen. 
Same principles of faith. And I was teaching along the same line as I am right now. So she said, as I sat there and listened to you teach, I, I, I said to myself, well, wait a minute here. I, I see something I've got to do before I get healed. Now, she had been ministered to by every outstanding healing minister in America had laid hands on her, and she's still not healed. Now, you know folks ought to. Bless their hearts, they don't think. I mean, if you've been ministered to by every outstanding one that God uses in healing minister and still haven't got healed, you would have enough sense to know something wrong with you. You would have enough sense if you've been on one road. I mean, the pastor anointed you at all. Every van has come along and laid hands on you. Then, then those with, the, with outstanding ministries have laid hands on you. Been seeking and praying and fasting and for healing for years. You know, if, if a person, if you was going from Miami here up to Orlando and you'd been on the highway 19 years and never got to Orlando, you, you ought to catch on after a while. You're on the wrong road. I mean, you ought to catch on. You're on the wrong road. Amen. I said, amen. You, you don't have to be too smart to figure that one out. You're bound to be on a detour somewhere. Amen. But see, instead of folks stopping and checking up and trying to find out, they just keep going the same direction, you know, getting no results. And this dear woman, you see, ever, ever, ever those with outstanding healing ministries, she had been ministered to, hands had laid on, but she hadn't gotten healing. Now she said, as, as you taught, I said, uh-oh, I see what I've got to do before I get in that healing line. She went on to explain to my wife and I, she said, my brother and I, just the two of us, see, I had only one brother, only two children in the family. We had a falling out 25 years ago when my mother died. Now, she didn't explain what it was. It could have been over property maybe or something, you know. Anyway, she said, 25 years ago when my mother died, when my mother passed away, my only brother and I had a falling out. We've never spoken to one another in 25 years. Think about it, an only brother and an only sister. She said, sitting there and listening to you teach. See, I'm teaching along this line. I said to myself, well, I see what I got to do. As soon as this service is over, I'm making a long-distance telephone call. And I'm going to ask him to forgive me because I was wrong. And so she said, as soon as the service is over, morning service like this, I found a pay phone. Well, she, she hadn't had any contact with him in 25 years, but she knows he still lives the same, in the same state, New York State. She lives in New York State, a separate city. And so I went through the operator, you see, and, and got, you know, because I, 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 he still lived where he lived, his home address, and his wife answered the phone, and she gave me his office number. And so I called then. And the minute I told him who it was, oh, he said, I'm so glad you go. You know, I've been thinking about calling you. She said, well, I just wanted to call you and ask you to forgive me because 25 years ago I was wrong and I've been wrong all this time. Oh, no, no, no. He said, I've just been thinking recently I better call you and ask you to forgive me because I was wrong. No, she said, I'm entirely to blame. Oh, no, no, no. He, 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 he said, I'm entirely to blame. I'm entirely to blame. No, she said, I was 100% wrong. Uh, he said, I was 100% wrong. I'll take all the blame. Finally, he said, uh, she said, well, I'll take 80%, you take 20%. No, no. He said, he said, no, sir, I'm more to blame than you are. In fact, I think he is a year or two older than her. He said, I'm, I, I ought to know better. I'm, I'm more to blame than you are. 
And so I'll take the 80% and you take the 20%. No, she said, that's not right. Well, he said, uh, she said, I'll take uh, uh, 60% blame and you take 40%. No, so they finally decided they'd just take it 50-50. <laughs> Ask one another, forgive them. He said, you're going to come to see me, aren't you? Yes, he said, just as soon as I get back, I'm coming home, just as soon as this crusade's over. And, and uh, I'm coming to see you. Well, he said, it'll be good to renew. You know, I had 25 years, and only brother and sister hadn't even spoken to one another. That's tragic, isn't it? You know, they're Christians that way. They're brothers and sisters, too. I said, they're brothers and sisters, too. I said, they're brothers and sisters, too. Now, stop just a minute and think. Remember what Jesus said? Ben, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. When you didn't speak to your brother, you didn't speak to Jesus. Oh, yeah, I've been a praying all this time. Yeah, and in his mercy, he helped you. But your fellowship was at a low grade. Amen? And if you want the best fellowship with the Lord, you're going to have to have fellowship with your brother and sister. Don't care what they did. Amen? Now, here in the first epistle of John, now notice this, the first epistle of John, and... Uh, the, the first chapter. Oh, there's so much. I wish we had time to teach the whole chapter, but we don't. But notice that seventh verse. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, who's in the light? Jesus in the light. We walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship one with another. If you're out of fellowship with your brother or sister, dear friends, you're not in the light. You're in the dark. We have fellowship. That doesn't mean we always agree on everything. Never, everybody's not going to agree on every little old iota. But if we're real Christians, we all agree on the virgin birth, don't we? We all agree on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We all agree he died for our sins according to the scriptures. We all agree that he rose from the dead for our justification. We all agree without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Those are important things. But now we don't always agree on every other thing. But I've said for years, you can disagree without being disagreeable. Amen. And I don't know about others, but I'm in fellowship with them whether they are with me or not. That's their problem. Amen. If you walk the light as he's in the light, you have fellowship. With who? One another. That's talking to Christians, see? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, folks don't realize it, but there's a lot of things about us that we don't realize it's wrong. But there's a constant cleansing. Now, of course, there's certain things you know that you know you missed it on. Well, you stop right then, because he goes on to say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful in the ninth verse, he's faithful just to forgive us. But here, he's talking about a constant cleansing as, as you walk in the light. And walk in fellowship with one another is a constant cleansing. Glory to God. I said glory to God. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If we don't have fellowship with one another, then we're not walking in the light. Then that infers that there's not a constant cleansing. Amen? I said amen? See, every step out of love is sin. But if we walk the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship. Ben, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So this lady said, I had lunch and I went back to my motel room. 
lay down in the afternoon and rested. And I said to myself, well, I got that straightened up. I'll just get in the healing line tonight. Just get in there now, Brother Hagin, and lay hands on me. She went off to sleep, had a nap, woke up. All of her symptoms had disappeared. Her stomach problem was all gone. Her respiratory problem, breathing problem was all gone. She told my wife, and I said, actually, I sat there and tried to find something so it could get the healing. I couldn't find a thing wrong with her. <laughs> Didn't even get the healing. I went back to New York Heal. I, I've seen that happen over this 50-some-odd-year period in the healing business, getting people healed. I've seen people make a trip to the prayer room. I mean, I'd laid my hands on them myself a number of times. Other ministers had. I, I, I've seen the same people make a trip to the prayer room, you know, and get things straightened out with God and in their own spirits, and was instantly healed. Didn't even have to get in the healing line. Didn't get a chance to get in the healing line. Because, you see, they began to forgive the minute they did, fine. Amen? Yeah. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Whether you realize it or not, this is a sequel that we are teaching yesterday, but it's both yesterday message and today that put the two of them together. It's the most important message you'll ever hear. I'm talking about as a Christian, as a believer. It'll rid you of sickness and disease. It'll enable you to live your full length of time out down here below without sickness. Hallelujah. Fulfill the number of your days and just fall asleep in Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. I remember one time, uh, oh, years ago, during World War II, I guess it was. Uh, well, just after World War II it was, the late 40s. I was in a certain town doing some shopping or something, tenders business. I ran on the pastor of Full Gospel Church. And, and he looked sad, depressed, sick. And uh, he wanted me to pray for him. He said he had ulcers of the stomach. Now, he didn't mean pray there on the street. Just when you pray, well, remember me, pray for me. I said, well, okay, I'll do it. And uh, so he went on talking, though, you see. See, you can locate people by what they say. Amen. Then you know exactly where they are, and without telling them, you start to work on them. <laughs> Amen. So he went on to explain, you see, he is in a town of about 15,000, 16,000 people, the only full gospel church there. And he went on to explain how that a fellow minister had done him dirty. He come here to my town and started another church. Some of his members that lived down that end of town several miles away started going there. I really knew what he was telling wasn't true. It was partly true. Are you listening to me? I, I knew that. I knew this fellow didn't start that church. I happen to know because some of the folks phoned me and asked me, uh, said, uh, you know, we felt like... The, we live way down here in this end of town, several miles away from that church, and we felt like we needed a church here in our end of the city, in the town. And so just a few of them got together, about 30-some odd of them, and farmed a church, took up several thousand dollars to begin with. Don't sound big now, but way back there then, $6,000, a lot of money. Bought a lot, going to build a building. And so uh, they said... Uh, uh, how do you get in reading to call me? He said, how do you get in contact with the Reverend so-and-so? said, we've elected him pastor. He don't even know it. Don't know what they're doing. I said, well, if I was you, I, I don't know where he is either. I'd go through some of the district officials and find out where he is. 
And uh, so they called, I told them, they didn't even know who the district official was. And I told them who to contact. So they contacted this district official. And he said, well, I'll get in touch with him and tell him about uh, this. So he got in contact with him and said, I don't know whether you're interested or not, but those folks down there have started another church and, and they've met all of the qualifications. In fact, the district official met with them. They had to be so many miles from another church and they were several miles away, you see. And, and so he came and preached for them and, and uh, said, well, I you know, feel like this is God. But you see, to hear this other pastor said, this man started what well, he really didn't. See, it's partly true, but he really didn't start that. In my town, I said, your town? I mean, is the whole town, you got the whole town in your church? No. I said, I want to ask you a question. Now, before he started that church, now you said he started, but I said they started it down there in the south end of town. The last year before they started, how many did you average in Sunday school? Yours, the only full gospel church here with 15 to 16,000 people, you know, besides folks around it, you know, in that one town, besides little towns around, you know, so on, suburban areas. Probably, you know, uh, several more thousands of people close by. How many did you average in Sunday school the year before they started that church down. They said 113. That's children, babies, and everybody. I said, see, I knew they had to average for the year. How many did you average the year before that? Two years before they started that church down there in Sunday school. He said 112. So the last two years before they started that church down in the south end of town, he averaged 112 and 113. I said, how many are you averaging now since they started that church down there? They've been going a couple of years or so. How many are you averaging now? Well, we average anywhere from 240 to 260. More than doubled. I said, how many are they averaging? Oh, he said, I'm sorry to say they're beating us. They're averaging anywhere from 260 to 280 every Sunday. I said, whoa, glory to God. You ought to be a shout." The two of you together are running quite close to 600 every, every Sunday morning in Sunday school. And probably more than that, morning services. But I said, uh, before they came here, you average only church here, 113. You're running five times. See, 113. You're running five times as many. You're reaching five times as many people as you did before. You ought to be rejoicing. You ought to say, thank God for that church down there. This start one in the west part of town. This start one, he's in the central part. This start one in the north part of town. No, this is my town. That fella did me wrong. Come in here. I didn't tell him, but I said to myself, well, you're going to keep your ulcers. That's the reason you got those ulcers. You got ill will towards your brother. I ain't lay my hands on him until I wore every hair off the top of his head. He's still going to have his ulcers. So I heard later on that he had an operation for ulcers. I saw him at the convention, wanted me to pray for him. I laid hands on prayer, knew it wouldn't do any good, but did anyway. I mean, done just as much good, to, you know, just lay your hands on his head and said, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Don't mean to be sacrilegious. Now why? You see, after that operation, his ulcers came back on him. 
And they're going to stay there until he gets that out of his spirit. Thank God he did. Results was left. Now, I didn't say that's true with everybody's got ulcers, but it could be. <laughs> when you stand praying, remember every bad thing folks have done to you, everything they've said about you. No, no, no. When you stand praying, forgive. And when you stand praying, forgive. And when you stand praying, forgive. And when you stand praying, forgive. Amen? Amen. I, I want to go a little further in teaching here, and we may just sort of change over and go a little bit different direction, but still the same subject. Now, you know as well as I know that Jesus said in the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel, the same gospel where we took our text in the 11th chapter, that one of the signs that would follow believers is they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, you know also, of course, that the Bible said, is any sick among them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them north or in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise them up if they committed sin and shall be forgiven them. I remember when I was on the bed of sickness and I got a hold of Mark 11, 23 and 24 and of course that's a prayer of faith when you pray, believe you receive and you shall have. The devil said to me, and, and really, I didn't know to begin with just who he is speaking to. <laughs> because, see, I'm just a baby Christian. I got saved on the bed of sickness, and I've never been to church since I've been saved. And I went to church all my life before I got saved, but never to get anything out of it. And so I haven't been to church, and nobody to teach me, but uh, uh, the devil said to my mind, now that doesn't mean what things ever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, and you'll have them. That doesn't mean healing for the body or financial needs, things like that. All that means is that's spiritual things. What things ever you desire spiritually. Devil wants to spiritualize everything, you see. Well, I was bedfast and sometimes couldn't read the Bible over 10 minutes a day. I can't tell you why, but after about reading 10 minutes and I'd have to prop grandma's big Bible up in front because it was a bigger print, all I could see was a white page with black dots. And that's all for today, and sometimes that would be all for three weeks. I couldn't even see. I couldn't even see people. I could see an image by the bed, but I couldn't tell whether it was a man or woman, a horse or a cow. And then I could read again after maybe three weeks, maybe early in the morning after Mama bathed me, maybe ten minutes. Well, that takes you days, weeks, and months to cover a few chapters, you see. So I got to feeling better then. In the fall of the year, I'd been bedfast six months. In the fall of 1933, and the cooler weather came, I got to feeling some better, and I could read as long as an hour at a time. And I hit upon this idea. Instead of reading on through the New Testament, see, I'm looking for scriptures and things about faith and healing. I, I decided just to run my reference. And so it brought me, of course, see, without reading straight through, by running my reference, it brought me to James 5, 14 and 15. Is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint the the name of the Lord, prayer of faith to save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sin, it shall be forgiven him. Well, when I read that, you see, I didn't know that you, you know, I thought you had to do that. You just can't if you need to, you don't have to. 
So I began to cry. I thought all of it hinged on that. And I began to cry and said, dear Lord, I can't be healed if I got, see, I got my mind on the elders and oil. The elders and oil never healed anybody yet. They're just symbols. Amen. And, and, and so I said, I can't be healed because we don't do that in the Baptist church. I don't know of any Baptist preacher that anoints people with oil. Not in 1933. Uh, there's some do now. Thank God we've helped some of them. Amen. Amen. And I said, I don't know, no, you know, and that's the only church I was acquainted with was to any extent Baptist. But yet what little acquaintance I had with a couple more churches, I said, they don't, I don't know of any minister, any preacher, anybody, any Sunday school teacher, anybody that anoints with oil. And if I've got to be anointed with oil to be healed, then I can't be healed. And I'm just crying and having a pity party. Poor old me can't be healed because I don't know any, no elders, nobody to anoint me with oil. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you were born again, that's one thing to be born of the Spirit, another thing to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is endowment of power from on high for service, you see. But I'm born of the Spirit, so the Holy Ghost is right here in me. Bearing the witness of my spirit, I'm a child of God. And, and, and Jesus said, talking about the Holy Ghost, that when he's come, he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that shall he speak. So he, either heard, he heard Jesus say it, he become Jesus' spokesman, because Jesus is literally seated with a, right, with a physical body, that is flesh and bone, not flesh and blood, at the right hand of the Father. So I heard these words right here, and I knew it was the Lord. The Holy Ghost speaking, of course, but it's the word of the Lord. said, did you notice that it's a prayer of faith that saves the sick? Save, the Greek word sozo, translated Savior, also means heal. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. Did you notice it's a prayer of faith that heals, saves the, the sick? I said, no, no. I had the Bible's open right there in front of me. I didn't notice that. I got my eyes on the elders and all. <laughs> Amen. No, so I had to look at it again to be sure that's what it said. Sure enough, I looked at it again, I read it, and it said, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, heal the sick. I said, it does say that, don't it? And on the inside of me right here, right here in my spirit, see, the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of my belly, of the belly, right here. I heard these words, you can pray that prayer as well as anybody. You don't have to have the elders or the oil either. It's a prayer of faith that did it. You can pray that prayer as well as anybody. Man, I got, I got happy in a hurry. But you know, I made a mistake. I'm going to let the first person that never made a mistake throw the first stone at me. <laughs> I kept on reading. Still just listen to what the Lord said. See, I, I kept on reading here. And the devil knows a lot. You know, he's not all knowing like God. You know that. But he knows a lot. And he knows a lot about you. The one reason he knows is because he sees you and he hears what you say. So he knows how much you know and what you don't know. And see, I'd gone on reading there where it said, uh, uh, pray you one, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you may be healed for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man abateth much. And then he went on to say that Elias or Elijah, Elijah was a man subject to like past as we are, and he prayed earnestly it might not rain, rain not upon the space of the earth for the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, the heaven gave forth its rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. 
Now you see, he said, uh, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, the devil doesn't give up. He'll fight you to keep you out of the blessings of God, to keep you out of God's plan and purpose for your life and enjoying God's blessing. He'll fight you every inch of the way. He'll fight you every fourth of an inch. He'll fight you every eighth of an inch. He'll fight you every sixteenth of an inch. He'll fight you every one thirty-second of an inch. I mean, he'll fight you all the way. And immediately, see, he knew what I knew and what I didn't know. Immediately he said to me, now, see, he didn't even dispute that the prayer of faith will do it. He said to me, you say, how does it? Like a voice, like a voice out here somewhere speaking to my mind, said, now you could pray that prayer of faith if you were righteous. <laughs> see, that's what he said, the fervent effects of prayer of a righteous man of eight months. See, he didn't dispute it. You could pray that. See, he knew I didn't know what it meant to be righteous, anything in the world. And, you know, most Christians don't. Majority of them don't. Yeah, you could pray that prayer. You know, faith for yourself and be healed if you were righteous. But now you know you're not righteous. Now that's right, I'm not. Yeah, we Baptists were the worst in the world about that, you know. I'm so weak and unworthy. <laughs> Got old Monday Pentecostals and they're doubly worse. <laughs> Amen. You know, weak and unworthy as I am. You know. I knew no I didn't any more know what a righteous man was than anything in the world. But I was just sure that whatever it was, I wasn't. Because see, I'm familiar, the devil pointed some of them out to me. I'm familiar with all my own mistakes and shortcomings. And being human and physical, there's plenty of mistakes and shortcomings about all of us. Amen. Some people are slow. Some people are fast. Some people are slow and others are slower. Now some people have two speeds fast and faster. If you don't get out of the way, they'll run over you. In fact, they're so fast they run out ahead of God and he can't do anything for them. Amen. And there's a lot of things about us, you know, that's not perfect. I want to know one or two more is perfect, me and one more, and I wonder about the other fellow. No, you see the devil will point out a lot of these inconsistencies and, and I didn't know so, so see I let that get away from me. I, I thought, now here's my thinking and it's natural, human, I realize that because uh, see I didn't know what a righteous man is. You see, and it said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, he's saying the, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man, it'll do it, it'll work, it'll work. But uh, in my, my thinking, I, I'm sure not a righteous man. And I thought that being a righteous man was some state of spiritual development that you finally, after maybe a period of several years, would finally grow into. May, may take you 50 years. And I thought, well, if I just don't die, if I, if I just live you know, long enough, maybe I'll get to be righteous. And if I do, then I'll pray the prayer of faith. If I ever get to be righteous, I thought, I'll be a whiz when it comes to praying. <laughs> See? So I just lay there bed fast for months because I know I'm not righteous so I can't pray that prayer. 
And then I got to thinking one day, wait a minute though, wait just a minute. He gave an example of Elijah's as an example of a righteous man praying. Well, I remember as a little Sunday school boy, we had all these cards and, and then pictures, you know, of Elijah on the mountain praying the fire down, building the altar, praying the fire down, praying the rain down, out running the king's chariot, across the plain of Jezreel, the hand of the Lord was on him. And then he got up there to Jezreel and Jezebel said, I'm going to have your head off by this time tomorrow. And he started running again. This time the hand of the Lord not on him. And he give out. And we saw pictures of him under the juniper tree. Lord said, let me die. Might as well be dead. Now, this is not exactly the word, but this end, might as well be dead. After all, I'm the only one that's left anyway. Everybody's backslid but me. Just, I, I might as well be dead. He didn't want to die anymore than you did. And you said, I wish I was dead. I mean, if he wanted to die, why didn't he stay where he was? He'd already been dead by then. <laughs> I mean, I thought, that guy's about inconsistent as me. In fact, he sort of reminds me of myself. And then I read it again. He said, Elijah, Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Wait a minute here. I began to get a little light. Subject to like passions. In other words, he's just like us. See, we look at them sometimes and think, oh, he's a great saint. Oh, yeah, holy. No, said he's a man. Man, just like any other man, subject to like passions as we are. And as you looked at it, you saw he, he is so inconsistent, sort of reminds you of yourself. Double talk, you know. And I said, how in the world could he give him, how could James give that man, Elijah, uh, an, as an example of a righteous man praying? Well, I was studying in the New Testament, so I said, I better go back to the Old and find out. Well, among other things, I got in the 32nd Psalm where God said, Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Now you see, the sins of the Old Testament folks were covered. Ours aren't covered, they're washed away in the blood of Jesus. Whose sin is covered, to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. See, he counted in his righteousness. Because he set up the system whereby the priest could confess the sins of the people and the blood of innocent animal be shed to cover that. Amen. And so I began to run, I believe I'll run my reference on righteousness. See, it took me a long time to do it because I didn't have, I was partially paralyzed and I couldn't, it'd take me some time, 10 minutes to turn two or three pages. I could get my hand down there on the page, but I couldn't make it move. And I think I want to scoot that page over. I want to scoot that page over. And sometimes after five minutes, I could scoot the page over. So you understand it took me days, weeks, and months to, to cover some of this. And so I got over here into the New Testament then about righteousness, you see. I saw righteousness was imputed unto them. Their sins were covered. Now, now you, for instance, on this notebook, if I was to spill some red ink here, you see. Well, I could take something and cover that, but it's still there. And that's the way with them. But if I took a cleansing agent and cleaned it, I don't have to cover it. It's gone. Revelation 1.5 said, Now unto him that loved us and has washed us. Washed us from our sins in his own blood. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Washed us. Washed us. Hallelujah. And then I saw, I got a hold of 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Him who knew no sin, that was Jesus, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then I looked there into Ephesians and I saw where he said that we are created by God in Christ Jesus. And I saw there in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things come to you. I saw God didn't make any unrighteous new creature. I began to rejoice. Say, thank God he didn't make an unrighteous new creature. Amen. And the devil, like I said, he'll fight you every inch of the way and every half inch and quarter inch and so on. See, he wasn't easy to give up. That's right, he said. Side right in with him. Yeah, that's right. This voice out here speaking to mine. That's right, he didn't. Yeah, when you was born again and recreated, made a new creature in Christ, he made you righteous. That's right. But now, since you've been saved, how about when you got mad and knocked a tray off the bed? Is that a way, any way for a righteous man to act? Huh? See? How about since you've been saved, you see? Yeah, he made you a righteous man, all right. New creature. But now you can't pray the prayer. See, because I'd, I'd, I'd said if I ever get to be righteous, I'll be a whiz when it comes to praying. So you can't pray that prayer because you're not righteous. You know, after all, you got mad. Knocked a tray, you know, they come to feed you. You're bed fast. Knocked a tray off the bed. Somebody said, well, you couldn't have done anything wrong. Bed fast 24 hours a day. Yeah, but you could want to. <laughs> so he put the light out. But I stayed with the subject, and thank God I got over here to 1 John. You can turn back there again if you want to. It was there a while ago, you know, earlier. I got back over to 1 John. 1 John, 1st epistle of John, 1st chapter, ninth verse. But if we confess our sins, he's not writing to sinners. He's not writing to sinners. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to believers. John didn't write that in chapter and verses. Look at chapter 2, though, for reference sake. These things write unto you, my little children, that you sin not. Yeah, if you walk in love, you'll not sin. But because we're baby Christians and then because we're living in this body, it'll trip us up sometimes. These things are writing to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he's not talking about any man in the world would see that in a minute. We have an advocate. An advocate, you know, they call lawyers advocates. Because you see, the advocate means lawyer, one who pleads our case. I mean, even if we fail, we've got one still pleading their case for us. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now look at the next verse. 1 John 2, 2. Look at the next verse. And he, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins. Talking about Christian sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. I'll tell you, when I found that, I began to call for the devil. Before he was there talking to me, now he'd run off. I said, where are you? Mr. Devil, come here. Come here. I, I've, I've got a word for you. I've got a word for you. Come here. You see, it says right here. Yeah, I missed it since I've been saved. I shouldn't have got mad, lost my temper, knocked the tray off the table, I mean off the bed. I mean with food in it. 
You know, sickness doesn't bring the best out of you. It brings the worst out of you. Somebody said God uses sickness, you know, to deepen our piety. Whatever that means. I've never seen anybody's piety deepen. I mean, sickness makes you irritable, hard to get along with, fussy. It doesn't bring the best out. It brings the worst out of you. Amen. You know, and here, I don't know what it was. I don't know what, what I don't even remember, but I, I just know it did, you know, and, and just got mad and knocked the tray off the bed. Food and all, just went everywhere, you know. Drink, water, tea, whatever, I don't know. And uh, that's no way for a righteous man to act. But I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mr. Devil, come on, are you listening? You already admitted it is true that when I was born again, I was a new creature and a righteous new creature. He made me righteous. And I missed it, all right, but I asked forgiveness. I confessed it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful. He's faithful. Say it out loud. He's faithful. And just. You know the same Greek word translated just is translated righteous? You'll notice some of your translations read that way. He's faithful and righteous. He's faithful and righteous. To do what? To forgive us our sin. Now, wait a minute. If that's all he did, we'd be left in an unhappy dilemma. Thank God he does more than just forgive us our sin. I'm talking to Christians. He forgives us our sin because we confessed it and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Well, unrighteousness is just simply the word righteousness with the prefix UN on the front of it, which means not righteousness. Or he cleanses us from non-righteousness. See, when you sin, you know, all right in here, you feel it, you lose your sense of righteousness. That's right standing with God. But thank God he's our advocate. We confess and say, Lord, forgive me. You see, and Jesus is the righteous one. He goes into the presence of the Father, hallelujah, because see, we lose our sense of righteousness to go in. And he goes in and said, Father, I took their place. I shed my blood. They've repented. They've asked forgiveness. And the Father cleanses us. (laughs) from all unrighteousness. Now I'm righteousness again. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I'm righteousness again. So I turned over there. You see, I'm right there anyway. Uh, First John just turned back there to James where it said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And I'd said, if I ever get to be righteous, I'll be a whiz when it comes to praying. And I wrote right beside that verse, I'm a whiz when it comes to praying. And I've been a whiz ever since then. Glory. Glory. I said glory. Glory. I said glory. Glory. I said glory. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Now in conclusion, a number of years ago I was holding a meeting, uh, you know, in a church, church meeting as we call them, and a man, a businessman, member of that church, said, Brother Hagin, may I speak to you? I said, well, I, uh, he only came at night because he's, he ran his business, he owned his own business. He was there in the daytime in his business. Sometime after the day services, if I have time, I'll talk to people, but after the night service, laying hands on people and ministering, and just, you know. And, and, and so I said, I'll I tell you what I'll do, I'll come early tomorrow night then, and meet you in the pastor's study here about, I don't have a lot of time, I'll just take 10 minutes. Well, he said it won't take long. I just want to talk to you. So I came early, but I was getting ready to go. I was shaving. And the Lord said to me, 
Do you think I'd require something of you that I wouldn't be willing to do myself? I said, well, certainly not. You'd be unjust if you did. And I went on shaving, finished shaving, started putting my clothes on. Now, while I'm talking, you open your Bibles to the 18th chapter of Matthew. And so he said again to me, and I knew it was the Lord, said, uh, do you think I would require you to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do? I said, well, certainly not, Lord. You'd be unjust, and you are not unjust. He said, uh, so I kept on, you know, putting my clothes on, and I'm just about ready to put my tie on, tie my tie. And he said, uh, do you think I would require you to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do? I said, certainly not. Certainly not. That would be unjust, and you're not unjust. So I got ready, got in the car, started down the road to uh, church, going to meet this fellow. Now, this time it's just as real as though there's somebody sitting in the back seat. So, so real, you look back there, and there's nobody back there. Said again, do you think that I would require you to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do? I said, no, certainly not. If you required me to do something, you wouldn't be willing to do it. You'd be unjust, and you're not unjust. He said, uh, I didn't know what he's getting at, see, but he was telling me ahead of time how to help this man that was coming. And you'll see it in a minute. He said, uh, you remember when Peter said, how often, if my brother sinned against me, how often should I forgive him? Till seven times. And he said, I say not unto thee till seven times, but till seven times seventy. How much is, how many is seven times seventy? 490 times. And if you'll put that together with what he said in one of the other gospels, that means all in one day. And it sort of astounded me. And then he said, and the prayer of faith to save the sick, and if they've committed sins, didn't say they committed a sin, it said they committed sins and shall be forgiven them. About that time I got to church. I went to pastor study and this man is waiting on me. He said, Brother Hagin, now you laid hands on me. Uh, uh, now this is a number of years ago when the, when the healing revival was on. Every other outstanding healing minister in America has laid hands on me. I have uh, severe, I have high blood pressure. High blood pressure will cause a lot of time. Kidney problems, heart problems. The doctor said to me, sell your business. See, because he owned and operated his own business. Sell your business. Stay on this medication, just lie around and rest, and you might live two years. A man about 55, 56 years. I believe he's 56, he said. That's about, you might live two years. You keep operating your business, you can just fall dead any minute. And so he said, you know, I've been prayed for, you've laid hands on me. I, I, I don't know why I don't receive healing. I said, why do you think you don't receive healing? Well, he said, I'll tell you, I've been a full gospel Christian, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost for 30, and a member of Full Gospel Church, 35 years. But he said, you know, every time I come up for healing, I, I, I think about all my past mistakes and sins and faults and failures. Well, I didn't know what he had done over a 35-year period, you know. I just asked him, now, what awful sins have you committed? 
Oh, Brother Hagin, he said, it's not so much the sins of commission as it is the sins of omission. And you know, the Bible does say, he that knoweth to do right and doeth it not to him it's sin. There are sins of omission as well as commission. See, we get hung up on sins of commission. He said, I'm searching my life. It's not a matter that I'm just committed, you know. He said, you know, I, I, I own my own business. I've operated my own business for years. And I've always paid my tithes. And I've given some, but he said, I could have given so much more to missions and missionaries. I could have done so much more. I said, who are the others that couldn't have? And I could have prayed more. I could have witnessed more. And these things just, you know. Now see, the devil will bring those up and, and, and will cheat you because your faith won't work as long as you're in that kind of state. Amen? And I began to smile because I saw that's what the Lord was doing. He's getting me ready for him. I've just missed it in so many times. Missed it in so many ways. So I just turned over there and read that to him. You see, first of all, from James, I said, you were familiar with that. Did you ever notice he said, and if they've committed sins in the plural, not a sin, he hadn't predicted paid didn't. He said, it shall be forgiven them. I said, then, notice this. And we turn here to Matthew. You got your Bible open there? Now notice this 21st verse. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's a good question, isn't it? Huh? Till seven times? That seems like a good answer, doesn't it? Seven times is enough, isn't it? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. I asked this man, do you think the Lord would require you to do something he wouldn't be willing to do? That's what he asked me. Huh? Seventy times seven is 490, isn't it? That man said, oh, my Lord. He said, I don't think I've missed it 490 times in the 35 years. I said, well, you got a margin to operate on then. <laughs> Prayed for him and he got healed. Glory to God. I was preaching that part of the state years later. See, he's about 50, I think he's 56. And some of his folks was in the meeting and I asked about him. Walt said, doing fine. Said, you know, he's 75 now. I said, yeah, I figured it up. He'd be 75. Well, said he sold, uh, actually what he did, I think somebody else took it, or maybe some of the kinfolk. Said he retired from business at 75. Said he'd go fishing some, you know, but said he's in good health. About to die at 56, heart trouble. Doctor said, your heart's in such a shape you just die in a minute, see. And he's letting that, you see, because he didn't understand God's law of forgiveness. You know, most folks don't. Most churches don't understand God's law of forgiveness. They got their own laws. We got to go by our laws. No, we ought to go by Jesus' law. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now don't let the devil talk you out of your healing. Amen. Well, I've just missed it though, Brother Hagin. I know I have people tell me that all the time. Well, welcome to the club. Amen. I said amen. amen. And then again, here was a lady said to me, Brother Hagin, after one of the morning services like this, pray for me. I said, what for? She said, do I have to tell you? I said, well, I'm not going to pray unless you do. But she said, see, she knew it was wrong in her heart. She said, you won't laugh at me, will you? 
I said, no, I won't laugh at you. I might laugh with you. What does she want me to pray about? Now she said, I know, I know, I know the Bible said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, I said, thank God, you know that. That's wonderful. What do you want me to pray about? Well, she said, I'll tell you. I've been saved for eight years, filled with the Holy Ghost seven years, teaching a Sunday school class in this, in this uh, church seven years. And she said, now, I, I'm 36 years old, and I've just been saved the last eight years. See, I was 28 when I got saved. My husband and I married when we were about 20 and 21. He never has got saved. He's not saved. Now, he's a good man. I love him. He loves me. But said, uh, he, in all these years we've been married, he, he, he never did drink. He said, once in a while he might take one drink. But said, here a while back he came in on Saturday night and acted like he's drunk. You know, he's high. And said, I was always high-tempered. In all these years since I've been saved, I've never lost my temper with him or anyone else. But said, something just flew all over me and I just got leaped on him, began to flog him good and said a lot of things I shouldn't say. Just mad. And said, he came out of him and said, I'm not drunk, I'm just teasing you. I just had a cup to drink. Said, I just thought I'd come in and act like that, you know. And so said, then that made me madder than ever and I went to my bedroom and slammed the door. It took me a couple of hours to cool off and then I'm embarrassed. Dear Lord, he's not a Christian. I've just acted a fool. And, and, and in words, I could hear myself saying things I didn't really mean and didn't intend to say. That a lot of things are wrong. And so she said, I prayed all night long. God, I got to go teach a Sunday school class in the morning, you know. Next morning, Sunday morning. Prayed all night. Never slept a week all night long. Prayed all night long. And said at the breakfast table, I asked my husband to forgive me. And he said, well, you don't need to ask me to forgive you. I'm the culprit. You forgive me. I asked you to forgive me. I started it all. I shouldn't have done it. I'm wrong. You forgive me. And I said, well, I forgive you. And he said, well, I forgive you. Well, I said, sister, you haven't turned in any prayer request. You told me something. She saw the grin and said, well, I, I wanted you to pray that God would give me some kind of feeling so I'd know he had forgiven me. And I started laughing. <laughs> Sister, you know what you just got through telling me? You asked your unsaved husband to forgive you and you took his word for it. You didn't say, oh, I wish I had some kind of feeling so I'd know you'd forgiven me. But God said if you'd confess your sin, he'd forgive, but you can't tell. You got more faith in your unsaved husband's word than you have in God's word. You know what's wrong with you? She said, do you? I said, I sure do. She said, tell me. I said, the problem, God forgave him because if he didn't, he lied. You asked him to, didn't you? Yeah. Well, he said if we confess our sin, he's faithful just to forgive us. He forgave you and cleansed you. See, this has been week, this happened weeks before. But I said, your problem is you haven't forgiven yourself. You've got to forgive yourself as well as forgiving others. If you don't, your faith will be hindered. Amen? I said, now, will you do what I tell you to do? She said, yeah, if it's easy. Everybody looking for something easy. I said, it's, it's easy. I said, now, from this moment on, every time the devil brings a picture, because that's all it is, is a picture. It doesn't exist anymore. Your husband forgave you. You forgave him. God forgave you because you asked him to. And so it's gone. God said, I blotted it out. It don't exist anymore. The devil will bring a picture of it. I said, just start laughing at him. He said, Mr. Devil, look here. First John 1, 9 said, if we confess our sin, he favors us. And he's forgiven me. 
and I forgave my husband, my husband forgave me, and I forgive myself. Now, I, we ran that meeting eight weeks, and I saw her later on, you know, and I didn't have to ask her. Because, see, beforehand, she looks depressed. You look at her, everybody's singing. She may be clapping her hands and singing too, but she looks sad. See why? Because she's condemning herself. She's under condemnation. She's done it herself. God's not condemning her. He forgave her. But now then her face is lit up like a neon sign in the dark. Shook hands with her later on, you know. Well, how's it going? Well, it worked just like you said. Amen. Never felt so good. <laughs> Amen. Stand up, everybody. Praise God. I know you folks listen so good, you can just keep going. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.